Caught Offside with Andrew Gunling and J.J. Devaney. Oh, yes. Caught Offside from the suburbs of New York City in an apartment in Brooklyn, New York. The Champions League back. Andrew Gunling, J.J. Devaney. What up, brother? Andrew, how are you? Doing very well. How about you? Good. Uh, can I ask you if you thought that this was the round of Champions League football that was, you know, it's the first round and it was, according to a lot of our listeners, they really, really enjoyed it. I think they might be right. I think it was a very good opening salvo. I mean, today in particular, we're recording this on Wednesday night after the uh, the second day of first match day games. And uh, I, I mean, God, it feel, it just felt like whichever match you chose today, with the possible exception of the Atletico Madrid match, um, which whichever one you chose today, aside from that one, you were you were treated to something really fun and enjoyable. So, so Paramount uh, flashed straight at the end of their their game, the Liverpool game. Uh, they flashed straight to the the closing minutes of Atletico and Porto, and it's just everything you'd expect from that game. It's nil nil. The camera zoomed in on Diego Simeone, giving some kind of instructions to a player while a player is stricken, injured on the ground. It was just, I know like we've, we've loads of people who support um, Atleti that listen to the podcast. And I'm sure we have some that support Porto too, but you had to support those teams to watch that game. That was a hard, nope, not doing it for everybody else. It's it was like you know the episode of The Office, JJ, where there's the um, the American Office where they throw competing Christmas parties. Yeah, and like there's the one Christmas party where that's really fun with all the music and like cool people and stuff, and the other one is just like somber music and like very bleak. And there's the one part where like I forget who it is, but one of them is like staring out the window longingly at the other Christmas party. I feel like yeah. that is the people who were watching Athletic, like the even the fans of Atletico Madrid and Porto watching that were like staring longingly at another screen of Manchester City, like, like nine sco- goals being scored, in, like a goal every second being scored in that game. Or like- getting the halftime score update from the Liverpool game and going, huh? <laughs> yeah. Oh man, I believe. I, I could be wrong, but I think the stat that I saw was that 28 goals were scored over the course of uh, this first match days of the Champions League. Just riveting stuff all around. We're going to talk all about it. Uh, as we are conducting this podcast right now, my attention is going to be a little bit split. I apologize, but it's for the right reasons, as they would say on The Bachelor, uh, because the union right now are locked in a nil-nil draw with Club America, attempting to overturn a two-goal deficit in Chester. Um, I don't have a great feeling about it. By the time you're listening to this, you know if that feeling has been justified or not. But uh, should I have any sudden outburst during this podcast, uh, that is that is the reason. I will say this. The game gap between the two ties was so long that I thought they'd just given up on playing this round. They just decided, nah. <laughs> Can't be bothered. <laughs> Forget well, it was, about it. it. Was, well, what was it? It was like four months three or four months between the quarterfinals to the semis and then one month from the first leg to the second leg. How do you keep the juice in the competition? They, they've happening? really got it figured out the fix. All right. The schedule. Uh, let's talk about the champions league in Europe, JJ, the UEFA champions league. Where do we start here? Uh, I mean, I had my rundown and I kind of like uh, did a lot of it before today's games happened. So I'm open to going in whatever order you deem to be appropriate. I, I'm fine. I think, I think we should probably go, with the upset that happened yesterday. Okay. 
and take it from there because this might consume some time. It's, it's multi-layered. Things happened. Lots of them happened. And if you're a Manchester United supporter, none of them were good. Uh, no, unless you're one of those supporters who's like rooting for Ronaldo to have great stats. Then you might have been slightly pleased. Um, but in the end, yeah, I don't know how you and then are you really a United fan if you took that if that was what your take well, was from yesterday? I don't know. It's, it's interesting that you say that because we know Ronaldo is a kind of a team of its own. He's got his own stands on Twitter and social yeah. media. So yeah, there's probably people who are only delighted about that. And the game is tangential. But we're talking to real football people here, Andrew, of course. Two one in just the most thrilling fashion. Young boys pulling off the massive upset of Manchester United um, after going down a goal early. And I got to say, I mean, to a certain extent, the stats don't lie in this one. Sometimes they do. Sometimes they don't. United didn't have a shot after the 25th minute against young boys. Now, I know they went down a man, of course, with the Wambasaka red card. Um, What was that in the 35th? So So naturally, the game was going to change on that. But I'll be honest, like I, I kind of sometimes have this mental battle over how a team should handle going down a man uh, when they are the far, no offense to young boys. They're a good team, I'm sure. I don't honestly know a ton about them, but I know what Manchester United are. I know that they're among the favorites to win the Premier League, which right now we look at as probably being the most competitive and best league in the world. Um, and so like United going down a man I'm sorry, to me, that shouldn't necessarily equate to young boys then bossing them for the next 55 minutes. No, it shouldn't. Now, let's be fair. The red card is a huge factor in the game. Of course, of course. It will change the way you play naturally. I understand that. But to not even have another shot the rest of the game? Yeah, to do nothing offensively. Um, Opta Joe has this one. Manchester United, as you said, managed just two shots in this match. The fewest Opta have on record in any of their 138 UEFA Champions League matches since 03 or 04. Their second and final shot of the match came in the 25th minute. It's just, we've often said it on the podcast before. It's not acceptable to just say, well, we've gone down to 10 men. We're going to lose the game or this is the way it's going to go especially against a team like Young Boys, albeit United were on the road, and that was an unbelievable atmosphere in Bern. It was, it was, it was crazy. I heard Andy Mitten talk about it, uh, the United We Stand editor, and he said that outside that stadium looks like a shopping center, but inside it is absolutely one of the, the best uh, atmospheres uh, in Europe. I mean, I remember Tottenham going there when they qualified, when they finished fourth to, after they beat Man City to qualify for their first Champions League. And that was where they had to go in, quali- in the qualifying round. They had to get through young boys to get actually into the group stage. And they went down 3-0 in the first half. And it, I remember thinking, oh, my God, all this for nothing. And then they scored two. And then the second leg at White Hart Lane, they, they dominated. But, yeah, Let I remember me, uh... that place was a cauldron. Yeah, and let me get all the the excuses for United out of the way because I don't really I, I'm I'm in agreement with you. I don't think there's really that many, despite the sending off. But um, the sending off, in my view, comes as a direct result of that surface and that field. I don't understand why young boys are allowed to play on a synthetic surface like that when it seems nobody else does. Mm-hmm. And if you do it in the if you get promoted to the EFL from the conference in England, you have to rip up your pitch and put down grass field if you've got one of these fields. And 
it's just faster. And United struggled to deal with it. And Wambasaka gets sent off in part because he's overstretching on a heavy touch. And if your touch is not pristine on those surfaces, we see it at Atlanta at the bends in MLS, that thing just shoots off. And the next thing you're lunging to try and get it back. And that's how the red card comes about. But to talk about the surface would be, I mean, talking around the real problems and issues that United encountered in this game. And I think a lot of them came from that sending off and what Solskjaer decided to do afterwards. Yeah. Um, So, I mean, the main talking point seems to be his decision at halftime to switch to a back three. Can I, can I bring it forward a little bit? Sure. Um, So Wambasak is sent off. Solskjaer suddenly has a decision and the decision he has is he settles on taking off Jaden Sancho. Even though, like, if you factor in the circumstances now created, there is an obvious choice of who you take off in this, in this scenario for Dalot to come on. But it's a choice Solskjaer knows he cannot make. <laughs> I know where you're going with this. But, 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 but it is. So, like, uh, I want you to imagine that it's... I'm trying to think of a striker in his 30s in the Champions League that's prolific. Okay, uh, for uh, Lille, I was watching highlights of Lille the other... Uh, Today, actually. Uh, so if Burak Yilmaz gets, um, if there's a player sent off for Lille, um, you could see them taking off uh, a striker center forward, Burak Yilmaz, taking him off and putting on a, another attacker. They'd still have Jonathan, or taking, putting on a defender. They'd still have Jonathan David. They could still do things on the break. But you wouldn't want Burak Yilmaz involved in a team that's going to play a lot of like, counter-attacking, sprinting football. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer has a 36-year-old centre-forward who has just scored and who is also a god. So in a normal scenario, if the rest of the game is going to be a counter-attacking effort because of a numerical disadvantage, then Sancho would stay on. Bruno stays on. Pogba stays on. But this isn't a normal scenario because it's a god. It's Ronaldo. He can't take him off. So he's in a bind straight away. I mean, you saw Ronaldo's reaction when he eventually did come off in the 75th minute. Could you imagine his face in the 35th minute? All right. So let's accept he can't take Ronaldo off and let's make our peace that Jadon Sancho had to come off. Although who needs minutes more than Jadon Sancho right now? Who needs the confidence of maybe a breakaway goal in European competition to get him going? Probably Jadon Sancho, but we can't take Ronaldo off. Not in the 35th minute. Substituting Donny van de Beek and bringing on a central defender at halftime, Andrew, which is what you alluded to in Varane, is just so negative. Leaves you with one less midfielder to get the ball to the man that you can't substitute in the 35th minute, Ronaldo. Leaves him and pretty much the attack on a kind of an island. And this is the result. Manchester United create zero XG against young boys after the 35th minute. And overall in the game, the XG was 1.46 to Young Boys, 0.52 to Manchester United. This is just... It didn't have to be like this. But this, with the, the substitutions, the decisions he made, makes you think that he didn't have a plan for this eventuality, that he didn't have an idea in his head, and that his straight away his, his conservative streak just flashes through I mean, if you take off a midfielder, Andrew, you're inviting young boys onto you. And look, 
like you said, let's not disparage them either. You know, they're a David Wagner managed side, so they're going to run a lot. They're going to press. They're going to try and do their very best to take the game to you. And I just think he conceded too much in the substitutions he made. Yeah. Um, there's, I, I want to mount a defense for him, but I, I happen to agree with you. Yeah. And I'm not going to fake it. Um, but it, it yeah. got worse. And here's how it got worse. So he takes Ronaldo and uh, Bruno off, who are utterly out of the game anyway in the 75th minute. He brings on Matic, which is, again, I don't know, and brings on Lingard. I don't, I don't hate bringing on Lingard. He said, Solchar said after the game he needed legs. Or, all right, okay, fair enough. Um, but now Ronaldo's on the sideline. And you'll notice he had a puss on him. He had a big face on him, big mush on him. And then it happens. The emasculating of Solskjaer happens where Ronaldo doesn't sit down. He gets up and is in the technical area with Solskjaer, gesticulating, trying to orchestrate something on the field. Mm. And the visual of that, I don't know if you saw the picture. I, I, I can't remember if there was a TV shot of it. But he's there with his tracksuit top on. Solskjaer's got his arms wide. And Ronaldo's like a step, step and a half behind him, trying to make a signal onto the field to the players. Remember how he acted in the Euro, uh, European Championship final in 2016? When he went off injured? Yeah. Remember, he was just limping around on the sideline as if he was player manager. That's, that's not quite as what he was there. But um, it was enough for Rio Ferdinand, who, let's not forget, is the man that helped broker this whole thing by spending all night on deadline night talking or the night before talking to Cristiano Ronaldo, convincing him not to talk to Manchester city, not to go there and to come back to United. This is what Rio Ferdinand had to say on BT sport. If I'm the manager, I've got to be honest. I'm telling him to sit. I get it though. He's just a passionate guy. He wants to win. He's desperate to win and he can't hold it in. Is Solskjaer going to turn around to him and say, sit down. Could you imagine? Maybe at some point, but not in not in the first. Can't see it, Andrew. Cannot see it in any in any aspect. It was just I felt I felt for Solskjaer. Um, I really felt for him, and um, yeah, the knives the knives are out again, and um, he's lost I think seven of his Champions League games. That's a lot of his eleven, right? Yeah, and he loses in Europe in big moments in big spots. I think for his reputation, last night was nearly worse than the Europa League in May. And that was bad. But Well, um, the difference, there's a significant difference. Mainly, uh, he has a, he ha- this is the first group stage match. Uh, he has ample opportunity now for this to just be a, a long forgotten memory. Oh, and, two and, mon- and a month, two months from now. Absolutely. And, and what has he more than anybody? He's got enough good players to like win a bunch of games. And we've seen it with him before. And he's he the, can, in the, the end, coaster. Well, yes, that, that never fails. Um, in the end, if he, you know, he can lean on the fact of, well, we were up one nil and we went down a man. I mean, you know, and, and he does have a, he has a team yeah. right now that we've talked about that is not saddled with a lot of two-way players. So he was, you know, you can't sub out the whole team. He had to make choices. I guess in the end, you could say he made the wrong ones. Although having said that, let's actually, okay. So they do concede it's one, one. If they're down a man from the 35th on um, 
and they leave one, one we'll say that's disappointing, but they got a point, not the worst thing in the world. Mm. So like, think of how close they were to us having a way different story here. And let's think about how it actually ended. Yeah. You know, it wasn't because they, the dam broke. It was because, you know, this sport humbles you and Jesse Lingard, who a few days ago was celebrating scoring a goal. And you think, wow, this guy, maybe he's back in the fold for United. And then he comes on, makes a, a, a terrible back pass. The American PFOC pounces on it and scores. And JJ, it was the latest Champions League game winning goal since. The latest Champions League game winning goal since, I don't know. Lucas Mora. Oh, Tottenham Ajax. So that's how close Manchester United were to us telling a different story here. And I don't think it was Ollie's tactics necessarily that caused them to lose. But how can you say that? Because the goal didn't happen because of some, it wasn't because of some meltdown. It wasn't, you know, I know that I, or not, I young boys were putting the pressure on them. Of course. I saw that the the final third completed passing stat was one eleven, 111 completed passes in the final third for young boys to just 38 for United. So yeah, like the the pressure was on, but United were repelling it. They were were heading balls out, but they were the, the, the colliery to that is they were doing nothing at the other end. Well, that's yeah, the only thing. And by you're the way, right. That, that's where I won't forgive them. They can. I don't think they needed to concede the, the game the way that they did. I Correct. Think, I, and and that's why I will. That's why I say I'm not going to fight you on it. I, I ultimately agree with you. But, um, but I can I can I agree continu- with you they, to a certain extent? They could have continued to try at least on, on the counter, at least trying to, to do something. They couldn't. They, though, didn't, because they, they didn't. They didn't try to do anything. all of that to to bring on a center half and to be to be what they were. And and can I say in just to this is not the end of the world. We saw in the in the other group game, we saw Valencia and we saw uh, Atalanta, you know, draw. So it was actually nobody's racing away now. That was a, a 2-2 draw. United can get at either of those teams in Old Trafford. Equally, they can get at them away and home. They're two good sides. I'm not, you know, we know the trouble Villarreal gave United already. And we know how good Atalanta have been for the last three seasons in the Champions League. I'm just saying it's not a disaster for United. Um, one thing that really did annoy me. Um, this is this is unbelievable. It's the first group stage game. It's not the end of the world. And yet somehow we are in a football environment that means Jesse Lingard is compelled to tweet this out. A picture of him with his head down after the concession of the the winning goal last night. Mm-hmm. Um, here's what he tweets. Last night hurt. Every time I pull on the shirt, I hope people understand what it means to me. I always go out wanting to do the best for the club, the team and the fans. I'm upset for my part in the defeat. Mistakes happen in football, but we pick ourselves up and go again. Why does he need to say this? He doesn't need to say any of this. I vividly remember Roy Keane against Fiorentina in a group game in the Champions League in the year 2000 doing the same thing, except he did it to someone way better than, than uh, PFOC. He did it to Gabriela Batistuta. He played Gabriela Batistuta in with a bad ball and United lose the game. That's that's Roy Keane, probably the, one of their greatest ever players. Like what this confessional thing, like is is crazy to me. It's not right. You shouldn't feel he has to do that to what ward off abuse from fans. I suppose. Maybe I mean it could be genuine. He might have truly felt bad. He might you know he might have Andrew, wanted to do I'd that just on his own volition. I'd say he felt know. absolutely terrible, sure, but yeah. he has nothing. He's a professional footballer. He didn't uh, do it on purpose. He has nothing to explain to anybody. On the other side of this, this is, I'm sorry to do this to you. This is the definition of putting someone on the spot. Myself as well. Great 
U.S. soccer moments in UEFA Champions League history. I'm trying to place this one. A a 94th-minute stoppage time game winner against Manchester United. Well, you've to, got to, to finish off a dramatic upset. That's got to be high. But the ones that come to mind, uh, Leipzig, uh, Tyler Adams is t- game winner. Quarterfinal. Uh, Christian Pulisic scoring against Chelsea or scoring for Chelsea against Real Madrid in the semifinal. Yeah, yeah that's up there. Um, um, I'm sure we're forgetting some like we definitely are. And uh, yeah, I mean, these aren't the only guys to score. You know, I remember Weston McKinney. Um, I mean, I'm- he. I know. Um, was it McKinney against Barcelona that had that unbelievable goal? Uh, these are all so recent. Like, I'm trying yeah. to remember if, like, Sasha Kleschen had any, like, huge Be- moment Beasley, or Jermaine Beasley, Jones. Beasley had a big one for PS- PSV. Yeah, you're, oh, yeah. I can't remember who it was against, but he had a big one. So I would put, and that was way back, what, like, 01 or 02 or, or 03 even, yeah. probably, so. I, I, I guess I'm going to put this out now because we're, we're doing this on the spot off the top of our heads. I will put this to uh, the caught offside nation. Uh, go on YouTube and tweet us videos of some great U.S. Champions League moments that we are not thinking of because I would love just purely uh, so I can watch them. Like I yeah. just would love to, <laughs> to see these. Dig out the Beasley goal. I'd love that. Yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right. That was a good one. Uh, you have anything else on this game? Uh, no, we, we and we've got to be we've got to yeah. treat the United fan base with kid gloves. They didn't enjoy Monday's podcast. Um, Why? Oh, uh, we weren't uh, more fulsome in our praise. Uh, we didn't talk about uh, how United, uh, inspired by their new player, didn't eat the pudding on Friday. They didn't have the pudding. Wow. Yeah, I saw that story. They should have eaten. They should have eaten the pudding. Honestly, they went out and they played like puddings. Am I right? Is that an insult? Playing like pudding? Is that a, an Irish oh, joke? Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's an our islands thing. Someone called you a pudding. It's not, not familiar. Good. Yeah, but uh, I don't like it, and I <laughs> accept it as an insult. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, then we continue. I'm sorry to all those United fans. I, I, I thought no. I was one of you after I went to the Smithfield and and celebrated. With all your your fellow supporters, no, I but I, I guess it not. was it was directed towards me. It's, well, it's you so, are an unabashed hater of both United and Ronaldo, so this this is a match made in heaven. Uh, I'm I'm also able to talk about the game and break it down, and it didn't matter who it was coming from. Jonathan Wilson wrote a piece about the game last night, and he was called one of our listeners just called him an old fogey. So you you can't look, you can't win. You only hope you put it out there. And people kind of understand that you, 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 you want to talk about the game. It doesn't come. Everyone just said it's coming from a place of bias and all this stuff, which is just which is possible, distinctly possible. It's not possible. It really isn't. I, I, I don't think outside of my own club, I talk more about uh, a club than Manchester United, because in a way I love Manchester United. You can use that as a drop. Um, there's, there's, there's very few clubs like them. There's very few clubs as interesting as them. Um, but you know, you're, if you're going to do this job, Andrew, you got to take the slings and arrows, and I'm brave enough to do it. You are brave. <laughs> uh, let's continue, JJ. We'll, we'll stay with yesterday with Tuesday's games, okay. and we'll, we'll let's do Barcelona and Bayern Munich. Um, you know, I in, have in, so little to say about this, and okay, that I, says an, a lot. In, in some ways, I looked at this and thought, oh, Barcelona, they've improved. I mean, the, you know, we're not that far removed from the 8-2, and no, that was with Messi. This, this is... This is Worse than the eight two. Well, the dominant nature of this, the meekness of Barcelona. Like, remember, re- I remember talking about as weird as this is going to sound because the eight two was horrifying, uh, and the, the game reached a point where you know it was the 
stop, stop, he's already dead. But like, don't you remember, JJ? Barcelona scored on the on the Bayern Munich own goal. And then they kind of had this patch of play after that where like they were close to scoring again and you thought we were really in for something. That obviously obviously never happened in this one. (laughs) Uh, Barcelona were just so overmatched. Um, A a .24 XG, that's the lowest expected goal goal output in a game in the last 12 seasons in league and European competition for Barcelona. Um, And it it tells the story of just how one-sided this was. Yeah, Jamie Carr summed it up well. He just said they can't do any of the things they were able to do anymore. This is just, it's sad. It's, um, well, what do you expect? They don't have Martin Braithwaite. Yeah. Mm. But they've replaced him with like Braithwaite extra strong up front in uh, De Young. So it's, uh, as you're watching this, like w- what I'm trying to do when I'm watching a game like this with Barcelona is I'm trying to consider, okay, is this like every team can have a bad game? Like, well, like I just said, it was Messi's Barcelona that lost eight, two to Bayern Munich. Um, so was it that, or like, was this sort of, you know, when we talked um, to who was it? Simon Cooper before the season. Yeah. And, you know, he basically said that there are those within Barcelona who believe they are now entering a phase sort of like where Manchester United maybe not now are now, but like where they were the last several seasons of just like, sometimes we'll qualify for champions league. Sometimes we won't, we won't really be a threat to win it, but like, we'll hang around. Yeah. Maybe this was like the initial sign that that's, that's where Barcelona are that in a game against Bayern Munich who are great, you know, but recent iterations of Barcelona, we expect to compete with them, obviously. And like, they just can't. And this is maybe this is the new era that we're entering. So we're probably entering a phase pre Guardiola, pre um, Reichardt. So kind of like Louis van Gaal, early, like er, early 2000s, early 2000s, where they had players. They were interesting and um, pre Ronaldinho. OK, but they weren't just weren't effective and they they weren't they weren't so distinctive. Like this Barcelona, we know the things they do well. We right up until last year, even they still could be Barcelona, and they were recognizable. And now they have to go into what we asked Graham Hunter about last summer: Are they prepared for life without Messi? And um, it's going to take some some recalibration, and it's not going to help anything when you see that uh, Pedri's broken down already after playing. 10,000 games I was in the gonna last say calendar year it's not surprising I mean it's it was it was in the it was bound to happen eventually um so yeah it was it's kind of depressing yeah I mean, now look I also I know sometimes I and we everyone does this this kind of like this pendulum of like whichever way it's swinging that's where we all are and we you know prisoner of the moment I still think that they're uh, they're good now I don't think they can win this competition. They've like, got I don't, good I don't players. View them, I don't view them as a as any kind of real threat in the Champions League. They're not. They're not that anymore to me. But like, I'm not ready to to rule out their chances in La Liga necessarily. They're not my pick to win that league. But like, I don't. I don't know that I'm in a Jeez. place where I'm just like completely finished and writing them off as kind of a, you know, fifth place side. Andrew, they are. Um, when you look at it on paper. 
you know, they've got some decent players, but, you know, Ter Stegen, okay, PK, just an unbelievable career behind him. Bush gets the same. But, you know, they're older now. You have uh, Frankie de Jong, who is a class player, like really, really class. Um, but, you know, it's a difficult moment to be at Barcelona. Pedri, unbelievable player, but, you know, it, it looks so ordinary without El Messi and the team. Even with like, and, and look at the look at the guys that led the line yesterday. Memphis Depay, okay, has had a brilliant few seasons resurrecting his career at Lyon, but you know this is a this is a a few rungs up the ladder. Uh, Luke De Jong is starting for Barcelona. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's weird. It's a it's, weird transition time. There's no question it about it. Definitely is. And they've got and, a manager in Kuman that I don't know if that's the manager they really wanted, but it's the one that they have, be it financial circumstances or whatever. Um, yeah, this is this is going to be a weird season for them. But in La Liga, they've played three so far, haven't lost yet. Two wins, one draw. They put four past Sociedad. So you know, we'll see. Like uh, it's it's going to be a weird season for them. But like you said, there are still good players there. And um, but yeah, that I think as far as European dominance goes, I think this was this was a sign that yeah, those not surprisingly, those days are over. Now, using the word dominance, you want to know what dominance looks like, JJ? What's that? How about 113 goals in 93 games? That's competitive club only since 2019, 2020. That leads all players in Europe's top five leagues in that span. That's Robert Lewandowski. So 113 goals since 1920. That's the most. Second is Mbappe and Ronaldo with 76. The gap between Lewandowski and second is insane. This guy is a machine. He can score goals in every way with his head, with his feet. He's fast. He's strong. He is the perfect number nine. Uh, and um, I am such a fan of watching him. Um, and, and even when again, he's not he's, scoring, he's for his, even when he's not scoring for his country, he's wriggling around in the box in the 90th minute against England and standing a ball up to the far post for his teammate to equalize. Yeah, in the international break, he's he's class, Andrew. He, there's very little else to be said about him except, could he be one of those guys? We thought it might happen with Obama Yang, but there's a clear, there's a definite decline. But one of those guys where you're like, in his thirties, he's going to do well. He's going to be just fine. He's going to be worth the money. You're talking about him making a move? No, no, no. Well, he he floated it. Before the start of the season, he, ne- he, he it wasn't batted away. By the way, he is 33 now. Mm. I mean, he's there. Like that's, I, I that's know. what you're, we're talking about what you're, you're, what you're asking is happening right now. He's, but when's the, when's the fall off happen? You know? uh, yeah, that I, I mean, I'll, but I'm saying with, with how good he looks now, I'd say we're at least two years away from it. Wow. That's very, that's, that's two, two more years of that. That's that's special. In that span that I talked about, so since 1920, um, he averages a goal every 71 minutes during that span, converts uh, 27% of his shots. There is one player who has a better shot conversion rate in that time. You know who? No. Another guy whose name was uh, in the news for positive reasons during these first Champions League matches. No, er- go on. T- Erling Haaland, 33% ah. of his shots he converts. That's... Um, that's amazing for players with a, at least a hundred shots taken. But well, yeah, Lewandowski, the... 113 goals in that time, and second is Mbappe and Ronaldo with 76. That is just another level that he's found. 
Absolutely elite. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Let's move. Let's move to today, if that's all right with you. Yes. Let's go to your team now. It was one of those, one of those nights, JJ. Those, it was those famous European nights at Anfield. You can't deny them. You can make fun of them all you want. I'm not exist. making fun of anything. They exist. They're a thing. They're special nights other places too, but um, nope, the, only there. The the way the way Liverpool started that one, it could have been four 0 It certainly should have been two 0 at halftime. Uh, Mohamed Salah missing the penalty after Trent Alexander-Arnold put them 1-0 up. And then, um, I suppose, I wouldn't blame Joel Matip, but on the Matip side of, of the defence, things had a brief lapse before halftime. And uh, Rebic and uh, Diaz nipped in with two goals to put AC Milan, who were... If you saw the way they started this game, they were at sixes at sevens. They were they were arguing with each other, trying to figure out who should be where. Liverpool were ripping through them, but um, they found a way to be two one up at half time. And uh, much to the kind of shock of the Anfield crowd, and no doubt Jurgen Klopp as well. But Liverpool came out in the second half, and uh, Origi, who had been a surprise selection at centre forward, uh, played in a lovely little scoop chipped. Um, scoop or a chip, JJ? Make up your mind. I'm going to say scoop. I haven't seen it again. Pass into the into the path of uh, Salah, who finishes. I mean, just brilliantly. Ball hops up. Goalkeeper hesitates for me. He could have done better, but he flicks it with like the outside of his boot while he's in midair. Flicks it home. That's uh, that's parity. That's two two. And then Jordan Henderson buries a volley. Um, nice goal. Yeah. Yeah. Reminiscent of Steven Gerrard. And it's the right result. Liverpool were the better team, but it was pretty incredible to see um, the way things turned around and to watch Virgil van Dijk on the sideline, hoping for a rest, which he got, rolling his eyes at the second goal going in. Like, what is going on here? It, it well, was that, that stretch was fascinating. It was it was crazy. It was absolutely crazy. Um, it was in, it was interesting to gauge Liverpool supporters before the game and their general bemusement at Origi being picked at center forward. And I, I was of the same mind. I'm like, what's he doing? But then I thought about it. Sané has had a, a pretty busy start to the season. Mane? A, what's that? Sadio Mane? I always do that. Sadio Mane, Sané. Sadio Mane has had a busy start to the season and, you know, had a, a pretty, invo- pretty involved game against Leeds. On Sunday, so it's only a few days later, so give him a rest. Rotation's important. So Manny is out. Firmino has the hamstring problem. And then you're looking, well, who else can occupy that place? And it's literally only Origi. Like, Liverpool are still light there. Now, could Minamino come in and you could play a three with Salah, Jota, and Minamino? Yeah, but it's you haven't got that kind of centre-forward presence. Um, maybe Firmino doesn't really give you that, but it kind of does. He's he's been able to grow into the role. Origi's the only other one there. Now he's the only other viable option, and it goes to show you. Uh, I I still think they're light an attacker. I know Jamie Carragher was saying he would like to have seen a forward player coming into the club in the summer. That didn't happen. Um, also shows that it's Liverpool are in Matip and Gomez have two excellent centre halves, but they're much more likely to make errors or mistakes when Virgil Van Dijk is not there. Um, but I have to say, it's another really, really good performance from Liverpool. You know, oh, yes. I know, I know they conceded two goals, but it's another good performance from them, and um, and I, I'm sure Klopp is very pleased, and he was. Uh, 
on the Origi thing, Klopp had an interesting comment about Origi afterwards. I don't know if yeah. you saw this, um, because I guess Liverpool, you would know better than me, JJ, but did they, they wanted to move him on? Oh yeah. They, they, they wanted to get rid of him in, in the summer. Get rid's not the right word. Move him on in the summer. But it's just, uh, it's an interesting, it's kind of a paradox because Klopp is, he says about Origi and the, there was no interest. No one had any interest in Divock Origi. And after the game today, Klopp said, obviously people don't watch football enough as a, a comment supporting Origi. But like, it's just weird because like his support of Origi, it's for a guy that he has no, <laughs> had no use for really at his club. It just was, a, I found it kind of like an interesting almost contradiction of I thought thought. so too so so in a depressed market like what about you Jurgen are you watching enough like yeah well well, what about yeah exactly so what are you expecting in a depressed market Jurgen you're expecting a club to come in and pay for a player that doesn't play for your club that rarely gets on I mean he hadn't started a game in six months I think I I think that's correct I think that's what uh the commentary team said um Clive Tilsey said that it's just amazing that Divock Origi like when it's all said and done for whenever it is that he does leave Liverpool, he's going to leave with a really nice highlight reel of of major, majorly important goals that he has scored for them. It's it's very interesting. It 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 really is. Um, you can't say he didn't. He hasn't contributed over these past uh, three, four very good years for the club, because he certainly has. Uh, there was another point. Oh yeah, just just to give you an idea, of the dominance of Liverpool in that first forty minutes, they had thirteen shots. Inside the first 15 minutes. Mm. That is ridiculous. It is absolutely ridiculous. And in fairness, Milan did well to rally and get themselves ahead. It's, it's unbelievable. Uh, Kese, their midfielder, just looked absolutely. <laughs> I've never seen a player so flustered at the start of a game as, as Kese was, trying to figure out what was going on. In fairness to Milan, they, they tried to be, um, they didn't try to park the bus, but that ended up meaning that there was lots and lots of space for Liverpool. But, um, yeah, solid start for Liverpool and a not, not a bad start for Milan. If um, uh, I heard uh, Diaz said afterwards, you know, uh, I'm mad because we nearly or could have beaten such a great team like Liverpool, which shows we can play at this level. That remains to be seen, but um, they'll be heartened from, from the way they finished the first half and from the couple of chances they had in the second half too. These teams don't play bad games against each other in this competition. No, no, as... Uh, as was remarked, here is Liverpool trailing Milan at halftime and going on to come back and win the game. So, where have we seen that before? Is that the best Champions League final of all time? Ooh. For me, it is. It's so good. It's so good. And you put me on the spot there now. I thought Cardiff in 2017, after Mandzukic's goal, was going to be that kind of game. And then Madrid just ran away with it. Yeah. Um, oh. God, that's a good question. I I would have to, I'd have to think a bit more about that. Because United and Bayern Munich had the most unbelievable ending, but it was largely a terrible game. It wasn't a good game. Yeah, I mean, I I, I was thinking about Real Madrid, Atletico Madrid, the extra time four one. That was I mean, good because it went the Ramos distance. scoring right at the end to send it to extra time. But like in terms of, yeah, again, there's a different you know, Bayern Munich, Borussia Dortmund. Had a had a thrilling finish, but it was not a very good game. No, um, you know, so there there's a difference between those two. You can have dramatic finishes without the game rising to the level of what that AC Milan Liverpool match was. I agree with you, sir. Yeah, I'd have to think harder. You might be going back. 
might be going back further. Well, and, and like there was a period, the late 80s into the early 90s in the European Cup where it was just dour. The first European Cup final I watched in, what was it, 91? Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, just awful game. We continue. You have anything else on that one? No, I don't. Not to be not not to uh, not to leave Liverpool fans wanting more. But um, no, I have nothing else. Manchester City, RB Leipzig, six three. I believe only three Champions League matches have featured more goals than the nine scored in this one. Six different goal scores for Manchester City. Uh, it was uh, an incredible offensive display from them. A little bit of frailty in defense. Sure, um, and Leipzig are, are are a very good team. And Kunku was fantastic, posting a hat trick. Uh, just the fourth player to score a hat trick in a Champions League match for the losing team. Yeah. Um, an incredibly entertaining game this was. Yeah, it was very very good. I think my favorite City goal was uh, Jack Grealish's. That was um, great. Yeah, yeah, cut inside, curled it in top corner, and it's amazing to think he's twenty five now. That's his first Champions League game. It goes to show you. I mean, it's he was at Aston Villa. I his commitment to Villa. <laughs> well, well, if they'd taken the money from Tottenham, he would have already had how many Champions League games? Yeah, but Daniel Levy couldn't spend four million more. <laughs> Ridiculous. Uh, yeah, that one really that grinds your gears. That yes, one, I can tell. yes, it does. Um, but yeah, City were City were very very good. Um, Leipzig. Very, very good too. Uh, and Kunku now is going to be on the end of everybody's mm. tongue as we enter the period. There's a period that happens, it's around I want to say end of October, start of November, where people just ramp into transfer speculation already. And his name is going to come up now. I don't think he's going to move in January, but uh, yeah, he had a brilliant I think he's the is he the first person to score a hat trick against Manchester City since. Lionel Messi in 2016. Um, certainly in the Champions League. I think that's the case. Um, yeah, that was uh that was a fun game. And again, if you were watching Porto and Atleti, that was that was the wrong choice. Uh, Simon uh Bajkowski tweeted this Guardiola to BT Sport. I'd like more people to come on Saturday. We will be tired. Southampton are so dangerous. I invite all our people to come 3 p.m. to watch our game. <laughs> So apparently, the Etihad didn't sell out. It seemed. Do you not think there's something sad about the manager having to plead with people to come and watch this obviously excellent team? It's weird. It's it, weird. it, fe- it felt very. I saw that and it felt very non-league to me. It did feel non-league. It felt triple A kind of baseball or something like that, where you're in, you're watching local TV in a motel. And then this kind of paunchy former big league manager who's moved to the town is trying to get people to come. He's been forced to do an advert to get people to come. Well, hey there, folks. This is coach Joey Guardiola here from the City Slickers soccer team. And I want you to join me at the Soccer Town Stadium for the big AAA match this weekend against those Southampton Lake Monsters. Tickets start at only $10, folks. And if you win the raffle and we are leading by four goals, you get to sit with Coach Joey and make a substitution. There's cornhole, face painting, and a special game. Guess the width of Jack Grealish's calves. So come on down to 515 Route 225. If you pass the Denny's, you've gone too far. Tell them Coach Joey sent you. It's exactly like that. (laughs) The Southampton Lake Monsters, huh? Yeah. I think we should call them that. 
from now on they shall be called that but yeah I, but I, it did I, yeah it, feel, it, felt, it felt weird and i'm not i'm not slagging i'm not going to start you know slagging city fans off i know no, this i don't want to tell other people how to spend their money these games are expensive yeah, it's right. not e- on a weeknight it's not easy for everyone to, to i don't know get out there from whatever their jobs are so i'm not gonna i'm not gonna pass judgment it, no. it just felt a little strange to me manchester city are one of the favorites to win this competition and you would think that there would be kind of just a built-in excitement over this starting. I would have thought. So and Leipzig too. aren't aren't nobody as far no, as competition not. is concerned. I mean, that's one of Germany's better teams. Uh, so yeah, I suppose it's a little bit, it's a little bit unusual. Sure. Um, yeah. They've also replaced a row of the front seats at City uh, with uh, advertising that kind of double electronic advertising. So um, yeah, maybe they just decided they can't can't fill it. Um, which is strange to me because it's a very good team to watch. Yeah, and that was on that was certainly on full display uh, earlier tonight. A couple other things to kind of race through here as we round out uh, Champions League. Um, JJ, uh, we talked before about Jordan Pifak and, and the joy of a U.S. soccer moment in this round of the Champions League. Well, there was also the despair as John Brooks's month of despair continues. He sees uh, two yellows. He's sent off in uh, their match against Lille, Wolfsburg against Lille. Um, you know, it was, I don't know if you saw it, but it was kind of just like a pretty unnecessary in so like can, the middle third. Can I take you through it? Intentional handball. Let, let me take you through it. The first yellow is one of these things I hate to see most in the world, which is John Brooks trying to defend out wide outside the confines of the width of the 18 yard box. And he kind of, he hooks uh, Burak Yilmaz, the aforementioned Burak Yilmaz around the neck. Mm. Uh, I just hate to see it. It's up there with, Evite inv- invitations, those those mailed invitations, and people making out in the subway car late at night. The, the, I hate to see those things. I hate to see this. Um, by the way, Jonathan David goes to pass Brooks to score a goal that was ruled out. So it could have got a lot worse, but it was ruled out by VAR because the ball had already gone out. And the second yellow, he's, on, he's out on the left again. Looks as if he knows the ball is going past him. He loses his balance, and he handballs it, and it's, it's a red. Um, just a yeah. nightmare. And just like watching it, you know, where the handball occurs, I'm just thinking like, you don't have to do it. They no. still have 50 yards to go before they're even in any kind of attacking position. Like, it's just not necessary. Yeah, I, I can't watch him. I, I think he's a good player, but I can't watch him when he goes charging for the ball out of nowhere or we, when he ends up getting sucked wide. Whatever system Wolfsburg have to do, whatever system you, um, the U.S. men's national team have to do, if he's playing to make sure you don't leave him in those positions or he doesn't end up in them, is is what you have to do because yeah. it's a nightmare. I mean, he, he's definitely a good player. I don't doubt that. He's just he's just in some kind of form right now. I felt when when it happened, I was like, oh no, not him. Like it's just like of anyone, he didn't need this right now. Um, coming off of that qualifying uh, round for the yeah. U.S. and so yeah, I felt bad for him. Um, I'm sure he was probably pretty down after that. Um, but at but, least they uh, didn't lose yeah. the game. So no, they did not. Something. By the way, no sign of Tim Weah. Uh, yeah, that's true. Not on the bench, not in the starting lineup. Uh, let's see. Leo Messi made his debut in the Champions League for PSG in a 1-1 draw. Ander Herrera scoring for PSG. But uh, that is all. Yeah. Just um, one point. Yeah. Pretty he underwhelming. Hit, he hit the crossbar, which was classic Messi. Cut in onto the left and whipped it off the crossbar. It was awesome, but underwhelming. Uh, Guillaume Balaguer was talking about it, saying how they linked really well early on and then the front three and then the energy zapped out of it. 
And I should say it was against Club Bruges. I didn't even say who they were playing against. We should give them credit, too. I heard Pochettino say those words that you never want to hear a manager say afterwards. He said that Club Bruges just wanted it more than us. Yeah. And for a guy, you know, one thing we never factored in when we talked about this, or at least I, don't, I can't remember us doing it, was that this is a guy who likes to press. He likes his teams to press. And the, mm-hmm. I mean, look at the way the Tottenham forward line used to press. Um, and how is he going to get those superstars to do it? Uh, it's, yeah. I mean, I, I think it's a difficult job. Actually, uh, a listener, Cody, uh, tweeted us this. What does this say about Poch? To me, it's that he prefers a young squad who is willing to press and play with tempo. Personally, think he's not the type to have a squad of superstars and egos. I would say we don't know that yet for sure, but he, uh, Cody makes a valid point. There could be something to there, that. There, there is, because when has he worked with anyone with an ego before, apart from this new job that he's in? Relatively new job. He's only in the job since Christmas. Yeah, I mean, so, I don't know. I mean, the egos in that Tottenham room, I, I don't know what they were, but they, I'm sure, you know, pale in comparison to what's in this PSG room. Uh, Lionel, yes, uh, Potch, will you, um, will, will you, uh, will you do some pressing? No. Will you, will you please press? No. Neymar, will, will you? No. Will, will, you, will you press? A little. Will, will you press a lot? I need you to press a lot. No. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see if, if talent can win out. Uh, a couple others. Uh, JJ, Sebastian Haller at Ajax. Four goals today in a 5-1 win for them over Sporting. I wonder if this is going to be another example. Not that Dusan Tadic wasn't good in the Premier League, but like Ajax kind of taking Premier League cast-offs and turning them into superstars. Yeah. Um, four goals. A uh, couple of them were tap-ins. Two of them were pretty good finishes. Uh, that's one goal for every 10 million he cost West Ham United. <laughs> He's still their record signing. Amazing. God, no. You got to look at his size, the size of him. How could Moyes not get something out of this guy? It's amazing. Don't I I, I thought he'd um, I thought he'd, he'd do a Moyes on him and make him into a make him into one of those combative strong strikers, gets his head on things. Anyway, didn't happen. Great performance from him. Great individual performance. Yeah, really was. And he enters elite company in the Champions League, including Marco Van Basten. People like that. Amazing. Uh, Real Madrid getting an 89th minute winner from Rodrigo. They defeat Inter 1-0 in what was actually a pretty entertaining game. I know the score is not that of what some of these others were, but uh, it was it was a fun game and uh, a tough one for Inter as it looked like they were heading towards a point um, at home at the San Siro, but it's Rodrigo getting the winner for Real Madrid. Real Madrid's first shot on target was at that point in the game, and it was the winner. Yeah, they went up with two on target, 12 shots overall, 18 shots for Inter. I think I was, I could be mistaken, but I think I was reading that Rodrigo, who's so young, this is already his third game-winning goal for Real Madrid. Um, so he has that clutch gene, I suppose. Yeah. Uh, but a, Also, can, uh, I, can, I make one, yeah. can I make one more mention as well? Uh, Jude Bellingham, his performance for... Borussia Dortmund in their 2-1 win away at Besiktas. 18 years of age, Andrew. It's, it's mind-boggling how good he is. All the things he can do as a midfielder. He is just absolutely brilliant. And um, 
the the fight that is coming over his services if he if he continues to develop like that is going to be it's going to be epic it's um it's amazing i i still chuckle and laugh that birmingham they retired his jersey he was like 16 or 17 <laughs> i just know how many games he actually played for them in the championship but they were they retired his number but uh yeah un, unbelievable talent just amazing and uh and and it'll the, the clamor for him Actually, the clamor won't happen until he moves to England. I take that back. I was going to say the clamor for Southgate to find a, a space for him. I mean, I would have played him way more in uh, in the summer in the European Championships, but it was unlikely to happen with a manager like uh, Gareth Southgate. But um, yeah. And finally, one other one I wanted to mention, JJ. I wanted to give props to Sheriff Tiraspol from Moldova. But winning. are they from Moldova? Oh. Um, go on, finish what you're going to say. Well, they won today in their Champions League debut, this tiny club that uh, through qualifying got through into the group stage of the Champions League, and then they were victorious uh, in their first Champions League match. The little guys, score one for the little guys, JJ. But mm-hmm. I'm curious where you're headed with the... Yeah, they, by the way, they, 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 they scored two brilliant goals. Um so it was interesting because they were playing uh, Shakhtar Donetsk. So Shakhtar's plight will be familiar. The Ukrainian champions have been playing in exile in, Lili- in Lviv, Kharkiv, and now the capital Kiev since the eastern city of Donetsk became embroiled in a war involving Russian-backed separatists in 2014. I'm reading from uh, German football magazine DW. Less well-known are debutants Sheriff Tiraspol, the first ever representatives of the Republic of Moldova in the Champions League. But while UEFA and indeed the broader international community officially considered the city of Tiraspol to be Moldovan, most inhabitants would insist that their city is the capital of Transdiniester or Transnistria. So they are uh, a kind of a separate entity. Hmm. And that's how they consider themselves. So they don't see themselves as Moldovan, although for probably ease that's that's what you if i have them categorized as interesting i uh, hmm. didn't didn't know any of that so now two places that are kind of i won't say they don't exist but they are in they're in the nether zone of uh in terms of international recognition and international borders their stadium seats a little over 12 just under thirteen thousand. so that's like uh kind of like like bournemouth stadium yeah i guess yeah, that's right. Nice. Uh, yeah. And they are in the Champions League. Pretty cool. Uh, that is pretty cool for them. Do you have anything else on this initial set of Champions League matches, JJ? No, not off the top of my head, Andrew. It was it was incredibly enjoyable. It's nice to have it back. And um, yeah, you know, we say there's too much football, but I, I and most people don't. Well, I like don't the... think this falls into that category. No, I think it when doesn't. we say that, we talk about, it... you know, club world cups and champions yeah. I cups think this, and florida derbies or whatever this yeah. falls into the category of oh yeah but the good stuff doesn't happen until after the group stage well i disagree i enjoy the group no stage. i disagree i i disagree with that too i think this is awesome yeah wouldn't mess with this sadly that will change but i would not mess with this this oh, is a but- good thing you are too late with your mess warnings. I know they have the already mess has begun. Yeah, they have messed. It just doesn't take effect until was it next year? I'm trying to remember which year. Year after? No, okay. no, no, no. Two, uh, twenty four, twenty three, twenty four. I think. 
Yeah. Oh, by the way, there was one other thing I wanted to mention. I don't want to forget about Chelsea as uh, they won. Romelu Lukaku is proving his worth um, as we figured he would. I mean, it was a brilliant signing to think that this team, like they've already won this competition and how much better they might be from the team that they did it with. Um, it got a little bit, I mean, it was close this one, uh, but Chelsea do start out with three points. Their title defense is uh, off to the, to the right start. And a great ball from Azpilicueta to Lukaku, who nods at home. So, yeah, very good start. Yeah. Uh, Let's take a quick break. When we come back, a couple things I want to mention on the other side. Uh, Some stuff with U.S. soccer. Red cards, man of the match, maybe? We'll talk about that in just a sec. Don't go anywhere. More caught offside still to come. Back now, caught offside. Uh, JJ, you mentioned before the things that that you hate um, in life. I'm trying to remember what I've already forgotten what they were, but it, it reminded me, um, I actually texted you about this. I took, I was on the train the other day. What do, what do we think of people who are just on their speakerphone on a quiet train? Um, evil, the worst people in the world. (laughs) What Um, is that? What kind like, I don't know. I, uh, I don't have that gene that would allow me that would, I would feel so free around total strangers that I know are, are feeling nothing but contempt for me. Like how do people operate in such an oblivious way? But that, the like point that, is, that's okay to be on a speakerphone on a train. I think they're, they're levels of self-importance. They, they, they attract, they want you to hate them. They want you, they, they will take the hatred in exchange for being noticed in their life. There is no other reason for it. Talking loudly and explicitly on your cell phone on the subway is is the the actions of a maniac. I agree, um, and it, it. I was on the this all right. This is an all timer. Oh I was on the uh, the train once coming in, and it was totally quiet. Like it was like early morning, people commuting to work. JJ. The guy behind me oh, no. on the train, full volume, no porn <laughs> on his iPad, oh, no. just didn't care, did not oh, care. God. New York City is a fascinating place. Uh, oh, yeah. But come here. Let's full disclosure here. Well, not full disclosure because that would be horrendous. But um, the train line you were coming in on those days was. This wasn't the subway. This no. Is- no, I'm talking about this is a this is regional rail. Yes. Yeah. There, there's if you see a guy on the subway watching porn, it's still like, oh my god, dude, what are you doing? But it's not the weirdest thing you will see on the New right. York subway. There's almost an anything goes mentality when you're on the subway. It's almost cute if you were to see it on the subway, not yeah. on regional rail. Then it's weird and creepy. Regional rail, that is another. Oh my god. Yeah. This isn't one of those stories where someone tells a story about themselves but wants to gauge reality. This is not about me, you animal. Okay. I'm sorry. I will not accept that. Just check. No. <laughs> I would tell you, what do I care? Actually, I wouldn't know. I wouldn't tell you if I did something like that, but Good I would never Lord. do something like that because I have, I'm a decent Full person. volume porn. Didn't like, care. He didn't care. Was, you have to care. He didn't. I, I turned around and tried to like steal a quick glance just to see if what I thought I was hearing was what I was hearing. And it, it, there was no mistaking it. And he was just watching it like serious face, just taking it in. <sighs> Unbelievable. Where were we, JJ? Uh, Anywho. Yeah, I, I was just checking the update um, during that break of what's happened uh, 
uh, with the union. And it's just, uh, it's not going to go, it's not going to end well for them. They've now gone down a goal. A red card has occurred. It's, it's all come apart and they're going to be going out of this competition, in the semifinals, but I will still say uh, that is a good run for them for the way they operate. Um, you know, building from within, not really glamour signings to, to make it that far is nothing to just kind of like snuff off. That's, that's, this is, that was cool. And that was a nice run and hopefully uh, they'll be back again at some point, but mm-hmm. they're going to go out kind of meekly. Uh, so props to club America tip my hat. Godspeed. Uh, let's see, JJ um, wanted to mention. So this story arose on uh, Tuesday afternoon that U S soccer has offered identical contracts to both the U S men and women. Um, on the surface, you would look at that and say, Oh, well, the U S women good. have been asking for equal pay and it appears as though they have achieved that. Uh, they do not see it that way. No, uh, they don't. They issued a tweet from their U S women's national team. PA. So players association, yeah. USSF's PR stunts and bargaining through the media will not bring us any closer to a fair agreement. In contrast, we are committed to bargaining in good faith, to achieve equal pay and the safest working conditions possible. The proposal that USSF made recently, recently to us does neither. Now, here's where we have a problem. Uh, what I would say is a knowledge vacuum. I don't know what was in that proposal. I don't know the ins and outs of that proposal. Um, Meg Linehan uh, from The Athletic, who is just great on this, she tweets, U.S. soccer just issued a statement on the U.S. Women's National Team and U.S. M&T CBAs. It states that USSF has offered identical contract proposals today, proposing single CBA structure with revenue sharing. USSF believes best way to achieve these important goals is by the U.S. Women's National Team Players Association and the US NSTPA negotiating together. That's the men's association. However, this is quote marks. This is from US Soccer. If the Players Associations choose to ne- continue to negotiate separately as they have to date, US Soccer will invite the US Women's National Team PA to sit in on the negotiations with the US NSTPA and vice versa in the interests of full transparency. So one thing that I found interesting, when I initially saw this, this thought crossed my mind, but like you, I hadn't seen the details of it, so it was hard to know. Then I read what Jeff Carlisle wrote, and he closes his piece uh, with this, which I thought was really interesting, and the cynic in me could see this coming. Um, So uh, I'll read the last two paragraphs of Jeff's article. He says, there's also skepticism about U.S. Soccer Federation's motives in pushing for a single CBA. One source who requested anonymity due to the sensitive state of the talk, stated that the FIFA bonus money issue was being used as a weapon against the men's union to make the U.S. Soccer Federation look like the good guy. Quote, the way they want to solve the women's problem is not by increasing the women's income fairly, the source said. It's by cutting the men's CBA down to the women's 2017 to 2021 deal numbers. Hmm. Now, I don't know if, if that is, in fact, what has happened here. I don't know if that is what the u.s women had in mind when they demanded equal pay okay you want equal pay men you're you're now we're gonna we're gonna bring you down too yeah how's that for equal that wouldn't that wouldn't seem to be what they wanted in fact if anything they wanted not they wanted their fair share of the pie 
not not every not with the other side to have less pie from which then they'd have to share from right um that's the way i understand it too uh you see it's so difficult for me because the men as i understand it um they don't have a salary in the way that the women do they draw their salaries from their from club their clubs right. right whereas the women in the vast majority is like through a central contract with u.s soccer and now the FAI Football Association of Ireland two weeks ago agreed that the there will be equal pay between the men's and women's teams in Ireland, so the fees would be the same for the men's team. They would be equal. Then they would be matched for what the women would get. But those are game fees, training fees, camp fees. Neither team, as far as I understand, are salaried by the FAI. Because the men are paid by their clubs and the women are paid by their clubs. The other issue here that we mentioned, the, the FIFA prize money for World Cups, the disparity between men's and women's soccer is just so great that it's just it's hard to look past it. And you wonder if U.S. like is U.S. soccer expected to bridge that gap? Um, FIFA, this is again from Jeff Carlisle's article. He says FIFA's proposed awarding 440 million in prize money to teams that take part in the, uh, 2022 men's world cup. That's up from 400 million in 2018, the proposed, uh, prize money for the 2023 women's world cup, JJ 60 million, mm. 440 million for the men's world cup, 60 million for the women's that is up from the $38 million in prize money that was awarded at the 2019 Women's World Cup. That so, is a gender gap, if I have ever seen one. So this is on the eve of the U.S. women's friendly against Paraguay tomorrow. And that could get ugly. There could be some kind of protest from the women's team because... Um, it's already got ugly. So I don't know who runs this account. There's only about five and a half thousand followers. It's U, uh, U.S. Soccer Comms. Verified account with the U.S. Soccer Federation badge on it. Mm-hmm. So the U.S. Women's uh, National Team Players Association releases their tweet, which is a response to the Jeffrey Carlyle, the Jeff Carlyle article. Okay. They're retweeted or sorry, quote tweeted by U.S. Soccer, who say the following, excuse me, U.S. Soccer comms. An offer on paper of identical contracts to the U.S. women's national team and U.S. men's national team and to discuss equalizing prize money is a real, authentic, and in good faith. A publicity stunt is a 90-minute one-sided movie, which refers to LFG, I presume the women's movie that was released on uh, women's national team movie, which was released on HBO. Hmm. Wow. Which, which caused a lot of consternation for, I think this very same Twitter feed. That's unseemly though, Andrew. Yeah. Collective bargaining negotiations that take place through the media always end well. Everyone comes out looking good in those, right? Just ask major league baseball. (laughs) I mean, come on. This This is is not a good idea. Who's letting him run that account? I don't know. He he or she who's running it. (laughs) I don't know. Yeah, we'll see. Uh, I'll be curious. You're right. I'll, I'll be curious to see what happens at the uh, at the U.S. Women's next game, if there is any kind of protest, because it feels like emotions are starting to really boil over with these negotiations. Well, they um, they play Paraguay tomorrow at seven thirty. 
So okay. um, at First Energy Stadium, which is, of course, the home of the Cleveland Browns. Uh, all right. So we bring it down the stretch now, JJ. And if you may remember on our podcast earlier in the week, I closed out Here we by go. saying that I promise our listeners we will have a red card and man of the match coming up on our midweek podcast, which is what we're in now. So humdy dumdy dum, I went about my business. I was doing much research. Sometimes they're hard to find. Uh, but I, I had my man of the match, started looking at the red card when all of a sudden, as I was doing it, my phone buzzed and it was you saying, uh, hours we don't, ago, by the way, folks, hours we don't ago. need red card man of the match this week. I was, I couldn't believe it, but, uh, you're the boss. So I stopped what I was doing. So I, I do have a man of the match. I don't have a red card because I, I listen to you and I follow your every word. Um, so, so I'll I, give you, I'll give you my man of the match if you would like it. Uh, okay. Yeah. I, I'd, I'd love to hear it, but uh, stop trying to be such a martyr. Okay. I have to be the victim all the time. It's where I'm most comfortable operating in victimhood. That's not yes. healthy. <laughs> uh, man of the match, JJ. I went with the Seattle Sounders. I wanted to mention this. Ah. They got a, they got a 93rd minute winner from who else? I mean, my God, Raul Rui Diaz. They beat Santos Laguna and advanced to the league's cup final where they're going to face either Leon or Pumas. I think that might be going on as we speak as well. So I'm going to check that score next time you start speaking. Uh, Rui Diaz, I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago when we talked about him, the guy's sensational. The organization is top notch. Uh, so let the narratives flow. What does this mean for MLS Liga MX? What does this say about the Sounders? Well, Brian Schmetzer, my favorite MLS professor, uh, he wants no part of those stories. He uh, he was kind of asked about all these building narratives about the what the Sounders are doing for MLS in terms of the Liga MX MLS rivalry. He said, we're caught up in the Seattle Sounders moment. That's what we're caught up in. This is our moment. It's not Liga MX against MLS. You guys can write that story. What I'm writing is we are in another final. This organization, this club's in another final. There are hundreds of storylines for this game. Freddie Montero started with us in 2009. He's back and playing an important role for our success. How good is Raul Rui Diaz? There's an easy storyline for you. That's a layup for you. We did that without Nico Ladero, without Nuhu today. I purposely kept those guys out because they had some soreness. This club is doing it in many different ways with many different lineups. You guys can write up what you want. Now, you know Schmetzer said it much more much more in a kind of a flustered m- middle manager kind we, of... We did it without Nico Ladero, without Nuhu today. I, I purposely kept those guys out because they had some soreness. The club oh, you is know, doing gee, it in many different ways with many gee, different lineups. Gee, Willikers, do you just not want to talk about the football, shall we? Come on, him. guys, what are we doing? I love his whole way about him. Um, <laughs> I just enjoy the Brian Schmetzer experience. And he's you're right, a, I can hear his tone in this quote. He's an ex- he's, He seems like a more kind of exasperated, older William H. Macy character. Oh yeah, I could see. I could definitely see William H Macy playing him in the in the Brian Schmetzer story. I think so too. Yeah, what a movie that would be. Oh man, I'd camp out for that one. Uh, I will say this with what Schmetzer's saying about all these narratives. He is right. I mean, this isn't about MLS. This is about the Sounders. They're in. They're in the final. This is their moment. It's not anything. It doesn't need to be bigger than that. And if you're the manager of the Sounders or a fan of the Sounders, that is how you should see it. But I'll say this. You know, they're first in the West. So like they're doing all the things so far this season they're supposed to do. Second best record in MLS. They've won two MLS Cups in the last five years. They've reached two other finals. Adding a trophy to their case against the Liga MX side, uh, like now you're talking about, like he can say that it's just about this season and this team, but like 
you're talking about this team now kind of elevating to a different strata of MLS and, and domestic U.S. soccer history. Um, so, like, this is a big moment. He can try to keep his team in their own bubble as much as he wants. But if you're a fan of the Sounders, like, I'm cool with you allowing yourself to get wrapped up in the excitement of, of what this season could look like. You know, if they if they beat a Liga MX, because they just beat a Liga MX side in, in the semis, and they're going to have to do it again should they win this thing in the final. So that's, you know, I, I mean, obviously it's an MLS Liga MX tournament. Um, you know, they do that. They go on another one of their runs in MLS Cup. I mean, who knows? So like this could wind up being a really fun, uh, another in a series of fun seasons, but this could be another one. And so, yeah, like if you're a fan, okay, Brian Schmetzer has his job to keep his players grounded, but like I'm okay with fans who want to get swept away in bigger storylines um, for the Sounders team. So have Club Leon incidentally play Pumas uh, in the semifinal at 11 p.m. tonight. In the so League it's Go. kicking off in about five minutes. Yeah. Uh, also, I just saw this uh, while we were, we're finishing up with MLS. A uh, uh, friend of the pod and uh, Borussia Dortmund man, jack of all trades, uh, Stefan Butzko. Um, I just tuned into the Philadelphia Union game, not understanding why they would ping all these useless crosses into the box. But then I saw them attempt a through ball. How does this team make the semifinal of anything? They are horrible. They are having a weird season. They are not what they were last season. Still, pro- I mean, well, I don't want to, I don't know. I was going to say still probably going to make the playoffs, but the Eastern Conference, they're in the jumble of teams like that we talked about the other day. So, uh, all right. Yeah. I mean, they're, you know, life without Aronson, life without McKenzie. It's, it's a bit of a different team and a bit of an adjustment from what they were a year ago. Um, but they made, they did make it to the semifinals. So props to them. Uh, that's about all I got. One other thing. There was a listener, JJ. I'm, I'm not going to shout him out by name, but I want to, because I don't know, like, I don't know if this is illegal or whatever, but like, but I want to give him his props and let him know that I got his message. Uh, I guess he felt, like I said, I like being the victim. He felt sorry for me that I watched the US on Telemundo that I don't, that I didn't pay for Paramount Plus account. Oh. And so he basically offered up all of his accounts for me to just watch games oh on his account. God. And so I want to say that's an extremely generous offer. Uh, I don't, I feel uncomfortable taking you up on that. I look, I could have these things if I wanted to, I just like, I don't know, at a certain point, I feel like I've reached my limit. I still watch. I find ways to watch. Pathetic. Don't, it's don't worry about me, but he offered him up. Uh, he DM'd us and offered up whatever usernames and passwords I needed on for everything. Um, that was incredibly kind. For now, I'm going to I'm going to decline res- so respectfully um, for now, meaning it, for this podcast, I'll be I'll speak to you in the morning. Yes. But in a moment of true desperation, all bets are off. We'll see. We'll, we'll keep open lines of communication. <laughs> <laughs> so I wanted to thank him publicly because that was very, very nice. We have the best listeners. I do. Uh, I love every single one of them. Well, we do, even though you call them animals on Monday. But I, I mean, mean they- it in the most endearing way possible. You know how much I love nature. There's nothing I love more than a good animal. Uh, that's about all I got, my friend. This Champions League was so much fun. We got a great fun weekend coming up of more domestic soccer action. Uh, so, yeah, bear down. We're in it. We're in it now. Hey. Yes, and uh, I want to wish everyone who's celebrating a, a very uh peaceful and uh safe uh, yom kippur yeah i'll be fasting tomorrow good you need it to sort out that weird body syndrome
Oh man, I right before this podcast started, JJ, I had to go get uh, fitted for a tuxedo uh, for uh, a wedding that I have coming. What up. kind of tape measures the various rolls and divots of your I, body? I hate getting fitted for suits and tuxedos because my shoulders are different at different levels, and so there's just no sport coat that is going to fit me properly because my body is misshapen. I have weird body syndrome. It's only getting worse. <laughs> I have a bad case of it. I thought it was a mild case. It's a, it's a bad case of Can weird. Can you imagine the guy in like Joseph A. Bank or wherever you were <laughs> and, and he just goes to measure you and then he looks at you with horror in his eyes and he goes, Mildred, Mildred, come here. What's wrong? Mildred, we've got one. Yeah, right. Like they, they had to bring in a team of people in like hazmat suits to fit me. His WBS, it's, it's lethal. <laughs> in my 50 years of fitting men for oversized tuxedos i've never seen anything as lumpy yeah. as this boy after fitting me they had to all scamper into the decontamination room spray themselves down and you're like poses. John, you're like the elephant man <laughs> <laughs> i looked great though all right come on who doesn't look good in a tuxedo this I was mean, fun for real we got to get out yeah we got to go i mean god forbid we go you know an hour 20 i might melt I don't care, people. All you right. You know what? If you melted, I'll go all night. You can leave right now. I'll do another three hours. Andrew, if I'll you preview melt- the whole Tottenham Chelsea match, I don't care. Andrew, if you melted right now, it would be a more normal shape to the body you have. All right. You know what? We're done here. Hey, to you, I say. Check you later, fun boy. I'll see you. Goodbye. You've been listening to the Caught Offside Soccer Podcast. 